Right, <coughs> good. Let's carry on with what God's already doing this morning, and then we'll carry on after that as well. A quick who's who uh, before I read the passage. Uh, we have been looking at Paul, uh, Paul or Saul, uh, who, who holds uh, both those names. Sorry, I'm slightly distracted by still getting my ear working here. And uh, that was uh, most recently uh, preached into by Rich or Richard. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Tabitha, who's also called Dorcas, and uh, I'm Chris, uh, also known as Charty, Christopher, and a whole raft of other names that I've been called over the years. Um, Peter is going to be key to the story. He used to be called Simon. There is another Simon, not that Peter, uh, who he'll be staying with at the end, so we'll get on to him. And then uh, there's Aeneas. He has one name. But as I preach, you might think he's got more than that, because <coughs> I don't always get the pronunciation consistent. Uh, finally, finally, we've got the hero of our story, the Lord Jesus Christ. There we go, just using three of his names in the passage. He has a lot more than that, the Lord Jesus Christ, the hero of our story today. So now we know who everybody is, possibly. I'm going to put my glasses on and I'm going to read to you. From Acts chapter 9. And from verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ, gone already. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men, to, two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. We've got here a picture, a description of the advancing, flourishing early church. Whole towns are responding to the gospel. This is the church in full revival mode. As many join, we assume more local churches would have been being created, started up. This is because Jesus is good news. God is growing his church as he brings people to an understanding of their need for him, 
They're hearing about Christ's resurrection. They're hearing the offer of forgiveness. They're responding. They're repenting. They're turning from their sins. They are putting their trust in Jesus. They're becoming disciples of the way, as following Christ was being called at that time. They're leaving behind their previous world views, like the Greek and Roman culture that was uh, characterized by hedonism and sexual immorality, individualism, greed, power. And they're, they're getting free from established religion as well, where, where it was all about what a person was doing, how good they were, whether they were reaching the standard, whether they were doing well enough in their own strength, keeping the rules and earning their righteousness. They're discovering this pearl of great price and they're drawn to Jesus. They're turning to him, the way, the truth and the life. They're willingly giving up these old ways of life, glad to be free from the false promises and the constant disappointment. They're forgetting the former things. They're seeing that God is doing a new thing. It's springing up. They're perceiving it. He's making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I remember seeing a really good time-lapse video of, uh, uh, on like a nature program, of a, a riverbed that was totally dry, completely cracked, and probably not in Jerusalem. Um, that's right, Rachel. Yeah. Um, and there's, this, there's just no vegetation, no life around it at all. And then it begins to rain on a nearby mountain. And and the water starts to trickle down and it builds momentum and it, it starts to soak the ground and the ground becomes wet and then, and then the water begins to flow within it and then, and then plants start to grow around it and then animals start to come and drink from the river and feed from the plants. It's just such a, a vivid image uh, when you see it happening in time lapse. Maybe a bit of a trick there that we mustn't fall into. Uh, it maybe doesn't happen quite that fast. Uh, when you see time lapse, just speed it up. You get you get the the pace uh, seems ridiculous. But nevertheless, this is happening. And this is in a season, uh, and, and, and it's just it's just amazing how how what seemed dead can suddenly seem full of life. We can look back at this time in Acts and think. That's what God was doing. He's watering the ground and, and, and growth is occurring. It's an amazing time for the church. Now, this is a bit of a change, isn't it? We've been looking at Acts and we've been in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. And we've seen persecution. We've seen stoning. We've seen the, the scattering of the church. And even in that, we saw how growth of the church was happening. We saw in there that people were still living by faith. We saw that people, whilst under attack, were persevering. But here we get to a season of seeming peace. What, what would happen when, 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 when things get a bit easier? Well, we see that miracles are happening. The church is still growing. Often in the Old Testament, we see that sort of boom and bust cycle of, uh, of turning to the Lord and then turning away from the Lord when everything was easy. You know? But then they get into real trouble, the Israelites, and they're turning back to the Lord. 
This is great. This is so encouraging because we see here that even if maybe some of the persecution has lifted for a season, they're continuing to turn to God. Their faith, their foot is still on the faith pedal. And we can assume, I think, fair enough, that in the midst of all this, everyday life is continuing. Babies are being born and raised. People are having birthdays. People are growing older. People are moving into new seasons of life. Normal life was still going on. Jobs still needed doing. Dinner still needed making and eating. Amongst all this, the message of the gospel is spreading. What Jesus started, what the disciples continued, uh, as those join in with that, uh, they, they, they join in on that mission. It keeps going. They become part of it. And the mission continues. The church continues to grow. It's being spread from person to person, from disciple to disciple. People are talking about Jesus. They're emboldened by the Spirit. They've got stories to tell now as well, haven't they? We'll look at those in a moment. These stories that help point them to the ultimate healing and the ultimate resurrection to be found in Jesus Christ. And it's all summed up really in these, these two verses, verse 35 that we looked at there and verse 42. If we look at those two verses together, we see the whole goal of this passage, the whole summary of what's going on, that all over Lydda, Sharon and Joppa, people heard, turned to the Lord, they believed in the Lord and God grew his church. And that's still God's mission today, that we believe on the Lord, that we turn to him, that we follow him. So how, what part do these healings play in it? So that the growth of the church is the main fruit of what God's doing at this time. But a significant number of words in this, in this text uh, are dedicated to this, these two accounts. This one of healing and this one of raising from the dead. So we're going to quickly look at them and then I'm going to suggest there's three traps we can avoid and three truths we can accept when it comes to considering how healing might be more a part of our mission as we seek to make disciples in Sheffield, in Market Harbour and beyond. So we're told that Anais has been Eight years paralysed. It doesn't say why he was paralysed. We see that Peter utters a whole four words of healing. Jesus Christ heals you. And he issues this instruction to Aeneas. Get up, roll up your mat. And we see Aeneas responding and, and, and doing that. Uh, and discovering he is, he is healed. His, his legs are working. He gets up. This is outstanding stuff. And then we have Tabitha, who dies. And her friends, knowing that Peter's nearby, go and get him. I don't know what they were expecting. One wonders. But Peter kneels and prays. And then with three words, Tabitha, get up. I hope these... These things might help us. Uh, the first trap I'm going to suggest we want to avoid is that thinking that healing is either simple or impossible 
if we, if we think that it's simple or impossible, I think we might be falling into a trap. So I want to try and see if we can find a way of threading the needle and looking to see how healing can be part of our lives. Sometimes I think we want such clear boundaries, don't we, that we want to think we have to, we go to maybe, well, if Jesus died, if, if he really did deal with all sickness, everybody should be healed now. No one should have any sickness whatsoever for any time. But we can swing to the other side and just think, oh, well, not everyone's healed, so no one gets healed anymore. We somehow need to engage with this challenge of living in decaying bodies with multiple issues and still expect supernatural provision from God in all its forms. More healing, more healing. We want to see more healing and we need more grace. We need more grace. I don't think we're at liberty to stop God wanting to heal us. I don't think we're at liberty to call ourselves disciples and then avoid accepting the gifts he wants to give us including the gift of healing. So we've got to wrestle with this in faith. And I'm hoping this is helping us this morning. If healing was just simple, formulaic, slot machine approach, then, then everyone would be healed, wouldn't they? Tabitha's friends wouldn't have bothered to go and get Peter. Peter wouldn't have bothered praying. He'd have just, Aeneas wouldn't have had to wait for eight years. But the other extreme, I mean, especially for us, maybe... Our problem might be living in a, a country with exceptional health care available and plenty of cynicism. I might just be speaking for myself there, but plenty of cynicism in the country. Uh, we, can, we can maybe get a little bit lulled into thinking that God's healing is no longer necessary or no longer to be accepted. But it is. Now, I know physical and mental well-being is a massive and complex subjects with many interactive and moving parts. I know it's difficult. It can be overwhelmingly complex. We can struggle to discover what we should and shouldn't bring to God and how to do that. And I'm not going to try and simplify that for you. But what I do want to do is just kind of point us to a couple of bits of solid ground. We were singing about solid ground earlier, weren't we? I want to point us to maybe some solid ground that we can get our feet on uh, uh, ready to tackle this area. And uh, we, ne we need to have good stability, don't we? I was, I was just thinking when I was thinking about this, uh, of, of that program Wipeout. Do you remember Wipeout? Where it was like an obstacle course with lots of water, lots of moving things, and it was all sort of set up to make sure you weren't on very firm footing when some, something hit you or, or knocks you over or you were trying to move from one part of the course to the next. It's all about having sort of unsure footing. Uh, I want us to, to find some solid ground, some, some things we can put our feet on. And I'm just going to give us two uh, massive verses, which I think can help us with this. Romans 8 and verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's important to have a foot solidly on that kind of ground before we come to him and ask and look for receiving healing. And we can turn to 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need 
for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We need to know that God's plan is to give us what we need. That needs to be our expectation that he's not setting us up for a fall, that he's setting us up for good. They are good, solid foundations. Search the scriptures, find more. There are plenty there. God is good. As we look through scripture, we see lots of principles and patterns when it comes to healing. And we see exceptions and we see some inconsistencies as well, I think. But lots of healings happen. Not everyone gets healed. Very rarely is someone raised from the dead. But healings happen. Now, there are multiple reasons why someone might be unwell. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of factors, a lot of possible causes, maybe even within the same condition. We don't know why Aeneas was paralysed or why Tabitha died. It doesn't tell us. Maybe they, in some way, contributed some responsibility to that. Maybe it was entirely outside of their control. Maybe it just fell into the realm of the, the human condition. Genetics and ageing mean that this is, this is so complex. Some things that are questionable as to whether they should even be considered an illness or not, or just a difference, just someone else's normality, which makes this an area where we do need some pastoral care. Sensitivity is needed. Sometimes it's obvious what someone might need or want, but we need to hear their voice. Did not Jesus ask blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And as we worked through the Gospel of John last year in chapter 9, we saw the disciples question Jesus as to whether the man born blind sinned or whether his parents sinned. Looking for some reason and cause and explanation so that they could come up with their own solutions and sort it out. And Jesus says, neither. He says, neither. This was done. This was done so God's glory could be shown. So when it comes to praying for people, when it comes to healing people, let's not be judgmental. Let's not, let's not, let's not look for causes. Let's look for God's work and what he's doing. As, he, as Peter just like brings Aeneas, Jesus healing. Without judgment, he just heals him. Not simple, not impossible. Okay, trap two, I think there is, we can see to avoid, is that, that thinking that some people deserve healing because they are nice, or because they are good, or because they are godly. It jumps up at us, doesn't it, with Tabitha. Is she deserving to be raised from the dead? We read how, how she was clearly such a good Christian. She was clearly lovely. She was... But, 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 but jumping to, therefore, she deserved to be healed is really dodgy ground. Problem with that is there's a flip side in which we start to say some people don't deserve to be healed or don't deserve to be raised from the dead because they weren't a good enough Christian. This would just like dispense with grace, wouldn't it? This would dispense with the whole basis on which we come to Christ. 
can't claim credit for her in the place of the complete work of Christ in her life. So we must conclude that however nice she was, however godly she was, this was never a reward for good behaviour or pious work. This was God's grace. It's understandable that compassion and justice draw us towards thinking that, that some people experienced, they, they just don't deserve it. And, 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 and that's true. There are great injustices abounding in the world. They absolutely occur and they're hard to comprehend. We've got to come back to God's grace again and again. We've got to throw ourselves on God's grace. We've got to understand that this is all about God's bountiful grace. I'm sure there's more, but the final trap to avoid that I'm going to mention for now is, is the need, that the, the thinking that there's a need for, for another sign, for more proof from God. I, I believe I've been tempted sometimes when praying for someone to be healed, to pray something like, Lord, please heal my friend that doesn't know you. If you do that, then they'll know that you love them then they'll be so grateful that they'll turn to you and follow you. This passage doesn't tell us what Peter prayed, but I don't believe for a moment that Peter was trying to bargain with God or bring some sense of conditionality. Maybe even as Christians, we're tempted to think, oh, if God loved me, he would heal me. We, would start, we might even start to doubt that God loves us if we're not getting healed. Paul, right at the start of his first letter to the, the church in Corinth, in verse 22, so 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22 says this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, the stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He seems to refer to maybe Jews having a trait of always wanting another sign. Perhaps there was a propensity in their, in their culture to, uh, to cynicism or doubt, and, and that might be keeping them from faith, from putting their belief in Christ crucified. Uh, and Greeks, he kind of calls out for maybe always looking for wisdom, maybe always trying to work it out in their minds, wanting more information, overanalyzing, struggling to commit. And maybe that was keeping them from faith and belief in Christ crucified. These aren't just about stereotyping, there are generalizations, I know. They're traits that any of us might lean towards at different times. Maybe they could be inhibiting us moving forward in life and discipleship and faith, particularly including healing. But he wants them to know that the wisdom of God had already been revealed in the death and resurrection of his perfect son. Nothing needs adding. 
I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I suppose that means that if no one ever gets healed again, Christ crucified will still be a complete work and the power and wisdom of God. That's what Paul puts front and centre for us. So I conclude that Peter was so convinced of God's love and power, already convinced of it. He didn't need a sign to prove it. He knows of God's love and God's power, and so he's able to move out in it. His, his feet are firmly planted on secure foundations. He's, he resists any sort of temptation to be the uh, man of power for the hour, to, to gather a crowd, to put on a show, build some hype, just before he raises someone from the dead. But no, this rock, Peter, has been chiseled by time spent with Jesus and by the work of the Holy Spirit. He's seen personally Jesus raise three people from the dead, including Lazarus. He'd run to the tomb and seen Jesus fold his grave clothes. He'd met the risen Jesus. We have the testimony. And we see his undramatic approach. He actually clears the room. Gets on his knees. He goes to God. He waits for the Holy Spirit to direct him. And then he goes and addresses the situation. And he needs three words. Tabitha, get up. What a story to tell it was. And here we are today still telling it. But it's really just a shadow of the greater story, the game-changing story, the one we're all pinning our very lives on. Jesus is risen. He's alive. So what are my suggested three truths to accept? The first truth we can accept is that God has the power and the authority to heal. Colossians 2 verse 9 tells us this. It tells us that Christ is the head over every power and authority. These signs that we see in this passage demonstrate that God has authority over all material things, all human conditions, physical, mental, and emotional. He flung stars into space. And here he heals two people. They reveal that Jesus is able to change the condition of body, mind, and soul, whatever can, situation currently describes that person's life. He can reverse eight years of inability to walk. He can change a pattern of thinking that's been established for decades. He can break the hold that the enemy's lies can have. We were singing about some of that earlier, weren't we? He can lead you into daily walking free. He can replace lies with the word of truth. But as we've seen, he's already proved this by raising Jesus from the dead. He doesn't raise Tabitha to show that he's not lost his touch. But it's surely to be expected that in his grace, new things will be springing up in the wasteland. Since he's established his power and authority, it's going to be in effect. Out of his character that is holy and loving, he's continuing to act. We can pick it up in Peter's words, this belief that he has. Jesus Christ heals you. 
He states whose power is at work, Jesus Christ's, an assuredness that God is well capable of raising Tabitha and healing Aeneas. I just want to pause and pray for anyone who's maybe lives with some doubts and uncertainty about either the, the power or the love of God. Lord, Lord, I pray. I just want to pray for anyone here, Lord, who's wonders, who, who doubts whether you do have power or authority. I pray that through your holy word, they would grasp that you do. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone because of whatever's going on in life or whatever has gone on in life or whatever they worry about might go on in life, doubts your love. Lord, this morning, to know your love. Or by your Holy Spirit, Lord, convince them of what's in your word, that you are a God of all love. Oh Lord, with these foundations of believing and trusting that you're a God of power and you're a God of love, be cemented in spirits this morning. Okay, my second truth to accept is that Peter received gifts. Peter received gifts. We see Peter's faith at play in what's going on here. So where did he get this faith from? It was a gift from God. Not earned, but he had received it. Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And like all faith, sorry, and this is not from, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And we can read in, in 1 Corinthians 12, I'll get this, uh, let's turn to that. Um, we, see it, we see it about spiritual gifts being given to the body. I'm going to read from verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I think we can see that Peter has been given a gift of faith, and I think we can see that he's been given a gift of healing. You probably all know the analogy of a, of a, of a, of a gift 
um, uh, let's say a birthday, a birthday gift that's been selected and wrapped up, uh, that's maybe been placed in a table, on a table in front of someone, and been told, this is for you. Open it, enjoy it, it's yours. If we pause the action there, action's probably a bit, bit of an exaggeration for what that was, wasn't it? Pause the action there. At this point, has the gift been given? Yes? No? Yes? Let's go with yes. The gift has been given. Yes. Thank you. Has the gift been received? Ooh, ooh. You, you've all seen through this setup, haven't you? Oh, could it be or could it be not? In one sense it has, but in another sense it hasn't. If, if I was to ask that person, oh, what did you get? Was it good? Don't know, I haven't unwrapped it yet. I haven't looked, it's still on the table. Peter's clearly opened his gift, hasn't he? He's using his gift. He's healing. He's stepped out in it. Just like that time he stepped out of the boat and onto the water. Has God, what gifts have God, has God given you? And have you unwrapped them? Are you using them? We might come back to that. The third truth to accept is this kind of response that we see from Aeneas and to some extent Tabitha. But what part did Aeneas play in his healing? we start, if we look at the beginning of it, what, what does he play? What part does he play? He, he's, he doesn't, it, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't his gift. He, he's just sat there. It wasn't his prayer even. And we know that it wasn't his power. But he did get up and start walking, didn't he? I think we can assume that he didn't do that against his own will. He must have engaged some of his decision-making capability at some point there. He's heard these words, Jesus has healed you. And he must have believed it, otherwise he wouldn't have tried standing up. He takes the step of faith. He literally takes a step of faith. Here we have faith in action. What a great example of it. Perhaps it sometimes feels easier to not believe, to not try, to not do what God is saying to do, to play it safe, not to take the risk, not to risk any disappointment. Was Peter safer in the boat or was Peter safer out on the water where God had called him, where Jesus had said, come? I wish I could give you guarantees that Every expectation you have for every gift that you want would be met. But like I said on Christmas Day, it's the giver who chooses the gift. He knows you. He's trustworthy. That's been settled. We know that. He died for you. Now, now my encouragement is let's be more expectant that he will give us gifts and a little less prescriptive about what and when. When we get these gifts, let's be ready to take steps of faith. Put these things into action.
So God has all authority. He gives gifts. We receive them. We're allowed to use what he gives us. I'm going to land here and maybe give us an opportunity to respond. The, in, in November, we had a day of prayer and fasting. We were praying as a church for a multiplication of leadership, of sights, of healing for the sake of the mission, of provision. We've seen many answers to those prayers already. We've seen multiplication of leaders in, in the context of elders, but also in the context of projects and hubs and in families. We've seen it in small groups and fuel groups. We've seen people leading themselves well and leadership amongst us growing in all kinds of ways. And we continue to pray for more of that. And provision has multiplied. Had some amazing increases in giving, meaning we can press on with the things that God's called us to do in faith together. The next Sunday morning, as was mentioned earlier, we're going to be meeting in Bradway and Shirecliffe, as well as here at the Jubilee Centre, and then next month in Hillsborough too. Another answer to our prayers from that day. I think as we go out to these sites, as we carry on in mission, as we, as we sort of advance on more fronts, as we find more front lines as we go, we really mustn't be going in our own strength. We really mustn't be going just with what we've got already. We need to go and we need to see new. We need to see a growth. We need to see the Holy Spirit giving us more gifts so that we can advance on more fronts. We want to receive all the healing that God's got for us. I want to. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us, and I want. I want those that might want to receive a gift this morning to receive. <laughs> I believe God's got gifts for us as we go, as we spread out. I believe God's going to equip us with more gifts, and I'm going to pray for us out of. 1 Corinthians 12. And I believe that he's going to give these gifts this morning and some of you might be using them in the next few minutes. And I think some of you might be using them at work during the week. And I think some of you might be using them in Oman in a couple of weeks. And I think some of you might be using them in Market Harborough. Some of them you're going to be using them at home, at school, at work. I think some of you are going to be healing people. I think some of you are going to find more faith than you've ever had.
before. But I think today, now is the moment for receiving the gift.